This week's episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast is brought to you by Mystic Lubricants. For a look at their full range of top quality products, visit mysticlubes.com. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Ag State of Mind, episode 160. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome back to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host as always, Jason Meadows. And what I'm going to do today is something I said I would never do and something actually that kind of annoyed me about other podcasts when they would do them. But uh, I'm going to be eating a little bit of crow here today and I am going to re-release one of my favorite episodes. And to me, I think it's really important to release this episode because there has been so many people who have joined along on the podcast journey. And I know a lot of the older podcasts kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit. And uh, I want to bring some of these earlier conversations I had on the podcast back into the light. And uh, this week's episode is a rebroadcast of my conversation with the one and only Dr. Temple Grandin. And the reason I, what sparked this is, um, I don't know how many of you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, I listen to a lot of his episodes, especially with people who I have heard of before, people who I find very interesting. Uh, A couple weeks ago, he had Will Harris of White Oak Pastures on his podcast. And uh, Will is kind of like, my penultimate hero. Uh, he has taken a what used to be a normal industrial type cattle operation and has made it into a multi-species uh, grazing beef, pork, chicken, lamb, eggs, all sorts of just so many, so much biodiversity in his operation and has created a really resilient agriculture business and, you know, has protected himself from so many of the uncertainties that we have found in the last couple of years, the the volatilities that we've found in the last couple of years, not that would necessarily be found in the last couple of years, but have become so self-evident. So, uh, but in, in talking about there was a certain clip where he talked about um, our, how the when the regular industrial food system, whenever something gets broken within that, say um, packing houses shut down due to a global pandemic, like we saw whenever we were talking to Temple Grandin on this podcast a few years ago, and you take one part of that out and the whole thing just screws up like there's just no uh, there's there's no working around that and even though our big industrial food systems are very efficient uh, they are like dr grandin said in this podcast they're very fragile it doesn't take much to to throw a wrench in things and just totally break down the system um If you remember a few years ago during COVID, uh, right around the same time when we talked to Dr. Grandin on this podcast, there were instances of hogs being euthanized because there was nowhere to slaughter them. And I think it was an upwards of like 20,000 hogs. Now, granted, in the grand scheme of how many hogs are butchered daily in the United States, uh, 20,000 isn't very much, but... 
it's wasteful. It's absolutely wasteful. It's a waste of a life. It's a waste of something that should have been somebody's food, not just food, but so many other products that come from all of these things. So I think it's I think it's a very important, a very important time to go back and listen to this podcast that I had with Dr. Grandin. And she's just such an incredible woman, such an incredible uh, story, light of information. This was really just, I mean, top 10 podcast that I have recorded because it was so fun. And it was just such an honor to talk to uh, Dr. Grandin on the podcast. So I hope that you all find some value and find some value in re-listening to this episode. And, you know, I know you could go, it it could be really easy for me to say, hey, go back to episode 45 of the Ag State of Mind podcast and find Dr. Tipple Grandin and listen to that. Yeah, I could do that. And you could, you could do that as well. You could go and it wouldn't be a whole lot of effort. But I think the fact that I am re-releasing this over two years later after we had the actual podcast conversation just kind of goes to show how impactful Dr. Grandin has been on my life. So, all right, guys, thanks so much for all your support and for putting up with me in this uh, uncertain season of the Ag State of Mind podcast. Appreciate you all and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Temple Grandin from 2020. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week. All right, Temple, welcome to the podcast today. How are you? Well, it's really great to be here. I, I am much appreciative of you taking the time to spend with me tonight. And I don't want to waste too much time because I really want to get into your story. Okay. So like, I, I think what the first time I came across you is I, I actually watched your movie. Okay. I was in a hotel room in Dallas at a conference and it was on HBO and I watched it and I was just so captivated by it. And then I had to look you up and realize, I mean, me being in the cattle industry and not being so familiar with you, I, it, it, was, it blew my mind to not yeah. know who you were. And then all the things that you have done. Then I saw you at NCBA a few years ago. And then I've heard you on a couple of podcasts. And actually it was my friend Vance Crow who put us together. Okay. You were on his podcast a few, few months ago and I had mentioned to him I'd love to talk to you and that's when he put us in contact and here we are tonight well it's good to be here great um so I think the I think the first question I want to start with is when did you realize that you saw the world differently from everyone else or not everyone else but from most people well when I first started working with the cattle industry when in my 20s I thought everybody thought in pictures the way I did I didn't know that there was other kinds of thinking Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I got into my 30s and 40s that I fully realized it. I thought everybody thought in pictures. And the HBO movie did a great job of showing exactly how I think. I've now learned there's a few people that have a condition called Fantasia, where they don't think in pictures at all. And they're like mm. the opposite of me. And some of these people are good at math, but they have no uh, visual thinking. So the first work I ever did with cattle was to look at things that make animals balk, like um, shadows and coats hung on fences, vehicles parked alongside facilities. Sometimes you can solve a blocking problem just by moving some vehicles. It's real simple things like that. And other people weren't noticing those things. And now I understand why they're not noticing it. Right. Um, I've now, um, the science now supports that you've got object visualizers like me, then you've got the visual, spatial, more mathematical people. In fact, I explain that in my book, The Autistic uh-huh. Brain. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's the word thinkers. So there's actually three kinds of thinkers. There's an object visualizer like me who thinks like in photographs. Then there's the more mathematical pattern thinker. And then the word thinker. And, um, and since The Autistic Brain's been published, there's more research showing that that's uh, true. And visual thinkers are also very good at skilled trades. 
And I'm very concerned that our educational system has taken out a lot of skilled trades. We're losing skills. We don't know how to build a poultry processing plant anymore. That comes from Holland. Mm. Pork processing plants coming out of Denmark now. Um, this is losing skills. The world's top of the line machine for electronic chips comes from Holland. And this goes back to taking skilled trades out 25 years ago. Right. Now, the thing about us visual thinkers, we can't do algebra. Uh-huh. We absolutely can't do algebra. No, why, is, why is that? Because it's... Nothing to visualize. There's nothing to visualize. Nothing okay. to visualize. And then I went and looked up some first grade new math lessons and I'm going, oh, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't understand this at all. <laughs> but um, we need our visual thinkers. They're the kids that are kind of mechanical geniuses. Because the thing that's interesting, when you go on a brand new poultry processing plant, we still make the building. Power, water, electrical, boilers, refrigeration. We do that. But all the clever stuff that goes inside, the real clever equipment, we're importing over here in 100 shipping containers. Really? I'm saying really. I'm being real, real serious about this. I'm very, very concerned about losing skills. And the kids that ought to be making this stuff are playing video games in the basement with an autism diagnosis or some other diagnosis when they ought to be out building things. So I think what you obviously show is I think a lot of times people look at autism as almost, I don't, I want to be real careful how I say this, but almost as a disability, but you. Well, it depends on how severe it is. Half of the programmers in Silicon Valley have autism. Right. right. They're, the yeah. They're the mathematical minds. They give us zoom and things like this. Right. And, and I didn't think I really realized that until I heard you say that in that it takes somebody who has that sort of way that you think that sort of way that able to use a different part of the brain in a different way, but maybe sometimes does lack the social skills as, as you, well, you I think a brain can be before. more cognitive and more thinking or a brain be more social emotional it sort of depends how the resources are allocated and a certain amount of differences here is normal variation. You know, they used to have a type of autism called Asperger's, which basically mm -hmm. socially awkward with no speech delay. That's now been merged in with the kids that never get speech. Now, when I was a little kid, I had no speech. Mm -hmm. but they, their autism is a very big, very big range, but I've been out to the tech companies and I'm um, you go in a room full of, of programmers that are totally silent, just uh, headphones on their heads and doing their, um, their computer stuff. They're going to be the mathematical minds. So I, I kind of, when I, my wife and I were talking about this and I kind of feel like the, almost the, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the brain is almost like a pie and it only has, it's a whole brain, but only a certain part of it can be devoted to social and a certain part of it can be devoted to more of the mathematical skills part. And now the thing that didn't, you know, it's interesting. What the research is showing now is you have the visual thinker like me, and then you have the more pattern mathematical thinker. You're not going to find a person who's super good at both of those. Right. Okay. Almost one or the other. Okay. Okay. Now you, see, you need us visual thinkers because look at something like um, inter, you need to design things like interfaces, like Zoom's easy to use. Mm -hmm. There's other horrendous software that um, we have to use for um, put, uh, submitting journal articles and reviewing journal articles. I don't know who made this garbage up, but <laughs> it is worst user interface that you possibly could have. I can't do the programming but the visual thinkers need to work on the user interface. Mm -hmm. And the reason why the iPhone is easy to use is because an artist made the interface. The mathematicians had to make it work. Okay. So what you're all saying, what you're saying is we all have, we all have our part to play. We all. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You've got to have, you need all the different kinds of minds. And a first step is realizing how the different kinds of minds can have complementary skills. Mm. Even visual thinkers are very good at, at seeing risk, like the Fukushima nuclear power plant disaster. I can't design a nuclear power plant, but all I know is that when I need the electrically driven emergency cooling pump and you put it in a basement that doesn't have watertight doors and you live next to the sea, that's not a real smart idea. Right, 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 right. Out of water. <laughs> right. That's real basic. I can just see the water fill in the basement up. Right, right. That's, basic. that's why we had that mess. Watertight doors would have saved it. Uh -huh. And we know that, I think, 
but but what you're saying is someone the engineer can... the mathematical mind doesn't see it i see i had a really really cool visit to cape canaveral and i got to tour a launch pad that was under construction i found something in that launch pad that shouldn't be there that nobody else saw mm. so at seven o'clock in the morning we walked underneath the launch pad and i watched a raccoon come across a landing and waddle down the steps and go off into the bushes. He'd been inside that, that launch pad. That and you saw it where I saw it. Nobody else did. Nobody. And nobody else knew a raccoon was in there at night. I said, you better check that out because if you've handled wires in there, there'll be salt from your hands. He'll chew anything that you have handled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, potentially somebody thinking like you could very well solve a disaster. Well, and I wasn't looking for anything. I mean, it was just sort of like my mind yeah. notices something that shouldn't be there. Sure. Like, like I go into the airport. I haven't been in the airport now for months. Right. But I went into the United Airlines terminal at one airport in another city. And you know how digital signs can get one pixel that's messed up? Well, the United sign was a little bit messed up in a whole row of United signs. And I was with someone. I said, did you notice that that sign was messed up? <laughs> I noticed it the instant I walked in there. The other people didn't notice it. Now, it wasn't a huge mess up. It was relatively minor, but I noticed that. Instant I walked in, and it was at an airport terminal I'm not in all the time. And where someone probably like me would have just never even, never even gave it a second thought. Well, or even maybe another person, I said, did you notice that that sign was messed up? And they hadn't noticed it. And so does that, so something like that, does that, does that bother you? Are you able to, it, no, doesn't. it doesn't bother me. I just, uh, well, I've said to them, you've got a raccoon that's spending the night inside your launch pad base. So you just wanted to, you want to make somebody, you know, if something happens like that, you want to make sure that. Oh yeah, so, I told them about it. Since somebody oh, knows. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I noticed that and I told them they were not aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I want to move on because I want to make sure we give this enough time. And I want to talk about, and I've heard you talk about this more in other podcasts, and you were on Jared McDaniel's podcast, you're on Vance Crow's podcast, two podcasts I admire greatly. I want everybody to go check those out as well. But I want to talk about the food supply chain issues. You and I have had, had a conversation the other day about that. And I, I feel like you are, of, of all people, are in one of the best positions to talk about it because you understand it and yeah and and i i feel like what has gone down you explained so well and i i read a place where you said it and i've heard you talk about it and i want, I want you to kind of talk about you know what happened and maybe some solutions to to that in the future well Oh, for a number of years ago, we had some big floods here. I'll never forget the trip back from the airport, and I couldn't get up I-25 to get, and I was going way around. I finally had to go all the way around Greeley. I'm going all the way around the Cooner feed yard mm -hmm. to get home. There's a bridge with, like, sticking this far out of the water. It was still out of the water. I went over it. It flooded like an hour later. <laughs> and what that's made me think is big is fragile. Mm. Big's not bad. It's fragile. See, the thing is, it's very efficient, very cost efficient, but when it breaks, you're going to have, you're going to have problems. You know, COVID made a terrible mess and they had to euthanize all these pigs using methods that were not very nice. Um, and we've got to figure out um, what can we do to not have this happen again. And one idea I had is just convert the plant to selling pig carcasses, just cut up in big pieces because you can do that with half the staff. Turned out that the plant, one of the plants on the East Coast had already done that and was shipping it to China. They ran. Um, but you've got to have these contingency plans in place. The food waste was disgusting. Mm -hmm. Tankers of milk dumped on the ground because a dairy plant was backed up and they couldn't sell school lunch boxes of milk in the, in the grocery store. Well, well, you've got to figure out a way to round that. You've got to set things up. You just take the stuff and sell it in the grocery store. Right, And then you have to label it, but this was just plain milk. It didn't have anything else in it. Um, and lettuce wasted, just horrendous amounts of food waste when the restaurants got shut down. So you got to have a way of converting that restaurant distribution over to the supermarkets. You've got to get contingencies in place. The other thing I think we need is more small, uh, small slaughterhouses. See, when I lived in Arizona, we had our two biggies. They were uh, Swift and Cudahy. But we mm -hmm. also had four smaller plants that were 
over a third of the supply. So small. So, so let's say you lock. Well, these were like 400 cattle a day, not locker plants. 400 cattle. Okay, a day. so I think 300, there's 300 think, cattle a day. They were this size. I think it's. A, I think that's kind of a misconception that some or not messy. Maybe it's a medium people, size. Medium size. I think people that's don't. A, I should call it a medium size. Now, for plants like that to survive today, you can't keep compete head to head with the big boys, right? Because the costs are so far down. Sure. But you could get into some other niche markets. We mm -hmm. also have got to get flexibility on the live pig end. The pigs are the worst on this. The cattle, you can store them easier. It messed up the cattle, but what other places where we could, you know, places we could ship these pigs, do, do things with the pigs. Because the other thing I thought about, COVID never came on mind, is power outages. Mm -hmm. And then there was that Tyson fire. Mm -hmm. and that took a long time to fix. So sure. Cardboard was, fire gets really hot. It destroyed the pre-stressed concrete in the roof. That's why it took so long to fix that. Right. I think that's, that was such a, I think people have almost, I, I mean, not in the industry, but a lot of people I think have kind of forgotten about that Tyson fire. And I mean, that was a big deal when it happened, but now thinking about well, all the issues. The thing is, is big is fragile. And the other thing is power grid disruptions. Mm -hmm. I'm just not working right now. Another book on visual thinking. And I'm, I'm not that big a fan of the internet of things. I was going back looking at the old scene in the Space Odyssey where um, David, the astronaut, disconnects Hal. Uh -huh. and, he had, he did, and Hal had like uh, turned off all the life support in the ship, so he's in there in a spacesuit doing it. Uh -huh. Thank goodness his spacesuit didn't have the Internet of Things. He had an old <laughs> dumb spacesuit, and Hal couldn't turn the air off in it. <laughs> and that, that movie was made back in the late 60s. Right. And but I got to thinking, that was a dumb spacesuit. Uh-huh. Because otherwise, Hal would have messed up the spacesuit's air supply. Sure. So you talk about big is fragile, and big, like, so big is absolutely. I feel like it's necessary. To, it's necessary. I didn't say that. Yeah. No, I know. We've got to figure out flexibility in the system on both ends. Yes. Uh, things like eggs being thrown out. Uh, because we didn't have the right boxes to. That put them seems. In. That, 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 I don't want to hear about that. That seems crazy to me. How but that happened. How that that happened. happened, and and um, so you, can, you you could put them in the industrial. I mean, figure out a way to sell them. We've got to figure out things, contingency things, so that this waste does not happen again. Mm. And you have to do it on both ends because the plant's a choke point. Right. All right, the things right. you do is immediately, okay. The chicken plant goes to whole chicken. Boom. So the okay. I got a lot of employees gone, and I can just process whole chicken. Um. I cut the pigs up into six big pieces, throw them in combos. I know places right over in Greeley, I could, I could sell a truckload of big pig bits in an hour. Or you take so, it to military bases, you take it to prisons, you take it to places where they, they could use it. You, we've got to start figuring out things um, up front to do a bull fence, the live end and the selling end to get flexibility into the supply chain. So I think what, and... I think not everybody realizes that now, for the most part, everything that comes out of the processing plants is is already cut, boxed, and, and boxed. Is that fair? Is well, that they, or it's getting more and more? But you see, that's where I have the people. So let's say COVID comes in there and like messes up all half my staff. Right. If I take the staff I got left, I put them on the slaughter floor. I don't hardly, I don't need very many people in the cut to to make a pig and uh, shoulder, middle, and ham. So they loin, bacon, and ham. So when when these slaughterhouses are full staffed, they are in there making much more precise cuts. Well, they're making much smaller things. Okay, you take a chicken plant; they're going to be making all kinds of specialty products. Right. You know, not just cranking whole chickens through there. Um, you know, you're making uh, McNuggets. You're making just all kinds of things. And so. It, what you're saying well, is the solution. People to do that. So the solution. So when something like this happens, well, well that's one thing I could do. Okay, you know, you're you're doing export loins. You're cutting them all nice and pretty and wrapping them up pretty. Well, that takes people to do that. Sure, sure. And, and but the food waste, the shocking food waste. I have to say, watching them throw tankers of milk on the pasture, and one of my students has a dairy, and that just made her sick. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And be, that that one was really stupid. 
because mm-hmm. uh, they're in the it's in the wrong boxes. That's that's the kind of stuff I don't want to hear. Yeah. No, you just, and then you might have, okay, liquid egg in those egg cartons. Well, let's uh, just sell it at the grocery store and tell people what it is. Yeah. So, I mean. I think people, I think people, uh, for the first time, they've seen the shelves start to get stripped. And that's Realizing it doesn't just automatically get there. Yeah. And we, and this goes back to what you were talking about earlier is kind of the loss of these skills, and not, you know, people in a lot of the more Americanized society, not having, not knowing to do with a, you know, a whole pork shoulder. We wouldn't know what to do with it. We, we could sell it out in rural areas. There's a lot of places I could take it where they're going to know instantly what to do with it. And lots of people. We've yeah. Got to, we've got to, we've got to build flexibility in on both sides of the supply chain. And then the other thing is power disruption. Because mm-hmm. you're not running a big plant off a of generator. That's right. not going to happen. Right, right. No, and you know, I think there, I think there are some relatively simple solutions here. But you have and, to, but you have to work on them up front. Well, bef- you have to, and I, so I talk about so this in the so instead of everybody just panicking, and then the, they can't, the milk plant stops because they, the the tanks are full. So we have to realize that these crises are are going to happen. They're going uh, to happen, what and, it, and we're going to have to figure out how to switch over in these other modes. Because the amount of pigs that had to be just killed on the farm, sometimes in not good ways, mm-hmm. was awful. How many did you get? It was there ever a number that you know, was released? I, mean, I know that they took one of the meat plants up in the upper Midwest and cranked up the. the they just used it to just euthanize the pigs in the CO two machine. It was something hideous, like twenty thousand pigs. I mean, it was. That's terrible. It was a disgusting amount of pigs. And I think, and you and I talked about this earlier in, I think the, the, the worst part about it was that animal and me being on, you know, kind of this journey and kind of trying to understand life a little bit better to know that that pig, you know, was born, was raised up, was fed to, with the purpose of not only feeding people, but giving new life. We and talked then we about throw, insulin. And we throw it away. Then it's gone. Yeah, and that, that pig it, it, and twenty thousand or or more. Oh, pigs they're huge. Were, I think they were more than that, but I know that like a one day or something, they got rid of twenty thousand pigs. And that 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 does that absolutely just this is disgusting. the kind of thing that that's unconscionable, and we've got to um, you know, figure out ways to not have that happen again. You see, and then I learned that one of the plants on the east coast was shipping pig carcasses to China, so it didn't happen there. Mm-hmm. because you can have half a crew and you can do that. Right, right. And, uh, you know, that's what a lot of these plants were operating at. When, uh, 30%. 40%, cap- 30%. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now they seem to be back up. And, they are. And what's really weird is is what's going on in the plants with COVID now is the amount of people that test positive and they have no symptoms is something like 70%. And there's a yeah. study from Italy that's showing that. Really? That's something's going on here. Uh, since I'm older, I'm real careful. Sure, sure. Yeah. And there are absolutely people who should are, are at very high risk for the disease and of the symptoms. Um, but it just, uh, you know, that's a, that might be a discussion for a different time. Well, that would be a different as... discussion. But the, um, we've got to put in contingency plans to, for flexibility on both ends. So something like this doesn't happen again. Yeah. And I I talk about this on the, on this podcast very often and not just in this, but in all things in life in, in being proactive versus reactive and trying, you know, planning for these disasters, planning for these bad things, these disruptions to happen. They, I've got, I get this little chemical engineering news magazine and there's another supply chain that's worse than me. And that's pharmaceuticals common mm. pharmaceuticals like antibiotics they the raw materials are made in china the pills are made in india very very tight supply i'm made. very and they're i'm very I'm gonna aware. go run and yeah. get this magazine just okay okay i've got it right i was reading a really interesting article just tonight in this i gotta find it but there's real concerns about that being a very tight supply chain well i'm a, a very very 
All right, here I put, uh, I got some grease on it while I was eating, but here's a little article about <laughs> making drug production local. This is brand new. I just picked it up in the mailbox. And, and it's the same sort of an issue. It is. And I'm glad you brought this up because I deal with this too, because I'm a pharmacist. Well, here's too. a little, um, but they've had several articles in here about, about the pharmaceutical supply chain being and it, very, it's very an absolute disaster where we yeah. can be short of common ordinary drugs that you just need for all kinds of things. And I know one in particular, it's not a life-saving drug, but it's one that makes your quality of life better. And it's renetidine for acid reflux, for heartburn. You know, we use it all the time. It was just something you go to the pharmacy and you get renetidine. We've been unable to get that for two or three months or more. And that's just the latest one. I mean, that and happens. That's the problem. You see, yeah. you see big is fragile. That right. Big is fragile. And I know there's some people who don't like me for saying this, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Now, there's other kinds of stuff where, yeah, I have to admit, I haven't hardly shopped. I mean, I got plenty of clothes. I'm finding I don't need half the junk you buy anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think we're all realizing Computer that. equipment, yes. I got some of the last stuff. I got this mic someone thinks is a robot. But <laughs> I, they, but. You know, I've been made, made me really think about food. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm me and my uh, assistant eat together, and and I I have lunch with him, and then I usually eat the leftovers, and I'm really conscious about not throwing away food. Yeah, we were really, especially when the first wave of this hit, we were really conscious with how much we ate at a certain meal yep. and how we make sure we ate the leftovers before we cooked something new. And putting in. We'll do yeah. it. We'll take like, uh, well, I just ate uh, some beef tips and some Brussels sprouts that I had about three days ago over at Mark's. And I, that was leftovers from lunch three days ago. Right. I don't, yeah. I, mean, I don't like to let, eat, you know, not at the same meals, think, but, but I just ate them just tonight. Right. And I think it's a, I think it's, that's a good shift. I feel like in, in the way we should be shifting our lives even after this hopefully coronavirus is gone. I feel like it's something that we, that's the way we should, that's a definitely one big part of our lives that should change I, forever. I watch these, I mean, and then I go online and I look up the videos of food being wasted, you know. Okay, I'll really like spring mix salad and they're just plowing it into the ground. Yeah, I, yeah. It's just I know. Terrible. I mean, it's just, terrible. It, it, it's unfathomable. How close were we to the cattle going offline like the like the pigs uh, for the cattle being a great a ruminant animal it's they're easier to slow down see the problem with the pigs is slowing them down right, you right. Feed them hay and put them out on pasture they can be slowed down the chickens are such a short cycle you know they had to they had to they threw away some chickens but the pigs were, were the, a disaster i think a lot of people especially people who are not familiar with agriculture and real real life don't realize that about hogs is they're compared to a to a bovine their life their lifespan is very short uh, as far as they, they 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 try to slow them down by feeding them roughages and things like that but you can't slow them down the way you can cattle and right. we've got to start looking at contingency plans people are thinking right now have been seeing some interest in you know some or small local plants i'm there were some enterprising people in the Midwest that managed to find places in California to ship their hogs. And that some people were just selling live hogs. But we've got to start thinking about if the supply chain breaks again, what do we do? You've got to have some very big things. Okay, this breaks, this institutional, I don't want to say names of companies. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, institutional distributor company, that truck mm -hmm. can then go over to the local grocery store okay what do we do about price fixing because we have to worry about that kind of problem well whatever price is on it yeah that's what they sell it for it mm -hmm. sell it for what the dollar store with whatever's on that truck you unload it over at the store and and you bill them whatever they're going to charge at restaurants that would and, deal with price fixing sure yeah and this i mean now would you just that end up ahead yeah, that's planned months in ahead that's the diversion plan so whatever the bills were for the stuff on the truck, you just send the grocery store bill for it. And it makes the sh it keeps the short-term problems from becoming long-term problems. Well, yeah. And it, okay, now you've got weird stuff in there, like uh, egg cartons full of scrambled eggs. 
well, you just explain to people what it is. So well, yeah. scrambled eggs, our use it for baking. Well, I don't sure. recommend drinking it, but and put a yeah. sign on the course saying what it is. Yeah, yeah. People will buy it. Oh yeah, I think you're right. I just, I think, I think it, you know, they need to just be a little bit more. What's the word I'm looking for? Maybe more aware, a little bit more resilient in their in their food buying experience. Well, you see, now people are realizing that you know, it means a lot of people think that food just comes in the grocery store. How does it get there? Mm-hmm. And you've got truckers that have got to bring the stuff there. And then when the online shopping got all messed up, most people don't know what's involved there. In fact, right. getting back to the things I talked about, skill trades, I've, I've done some online window shopping for really fascinating things to outfit my container ship terminal. I went shopping for equipment. I went shopping to buy all kinds of stuff to outfit my fulfillment center, you know, uh-huh. warehouse, all this stuff. Uh-huh. All oh, the good stuff's coming from the UK and Germany. Uh huh. Uh huh. You see, this goes back to the skill trades container ship terminal. That's China and Europe. Out mm-hmm. that, and if you want ice cream machines that make weird little novelties, uh, you well, the Chinese have tons of those. All, all kinds of websites. But if you want cookies with chocolate swirls, that's a European machine. <laughs> No. Yeah, people don't understand. But I the... think that, uh, you see, when I'm working on my new book on thinking in pictures, I said, I think people need to realize where this stuff comes from. And there's a certain mm-hmm. kind of engineering, like a machine that will make swirly chocolate swirls in a cookie. It's a very clever machine. I was watching videos of all these machines. And, mm-hmm. and the kind of person that makes that is not the mathematical engineer. You see, you need to have both. The people right. I worked with never touched boilers and refrigeration. We didn't understand that stuff. <laughs> that's somebody else's job but the thing is yeah. you need to have the whole team right yeah and it's the value in and i think we talked about it earlier the value in working in a team and everybody bringing something to the table here and uh we've we we bring this well, full circle but we're, we're um i was just over in a metal shop just today and we were discussing you know the shortage of young people coming in doing custom welding and things like this you know going into you know, making stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, the kids that all be making stuff are addicted to video games on a special ed diagnosis on a social security check and they ought to be building stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, ju- there, there, there's ways, there's ways around these things. And I think that brings me to a, uh, our next point where we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the mental health of people in, during this time, during this coronavirus. I mean, you brought parents with tons of kids, autistic kids and doing the trying to do the therapy online. That doesn't work for the three-year-old. Right. Yeah. And the therapist has to try to coach mom how to do it. It's about all they can. And moms aren't, I mean, they, they'll do the best they can, but that's not, some of them just aren't equipped for that. Well, the thing is, like when they when they did a stay at home order here, the first thing I had to do is you're going to get up in the morning, get dressed for work, period, by eight, no slouching around in the jammies. You're going to have a schedule. I'm going to do my writing in the morning. Then I'd have lunch with Mark. I kind of, you know, it's the only place I went the whole time. Mm-hmm. And do some other stuff in the afternoon, but you got to make a schedule. And I actually suggested to, for kids to look up life on the International Space Station. Mm-hmm. And there's a really cool video. So just type in life on the International Space Station videos, cramped quarters, sleeping in cramped places, a bathroom is definitely not fun. Um, <laughs> and you also learn about how NASA's learned how to work, make it work on these stations. One of the things they, they do, they have a schedule. They have to get up in the morning. You have to get dressed. You can't be in your underpants all day. You're not allowed mm-hmm. to do that. But they have a midday meal. Everybody's going to get together and float around. There's five of them now up there, float around the table. And then they have exercise time, station maintenance, work. But they also have free time mm-hmm. where they can play mm-hmm. a musical instrument. They can watch a movie, read a book, call home, look at things online, spotty. They have spotty internet up there. Sure, sure. Uh, but they, in the early space station, they made the mistake of overscheduling. It was a real mess. Fights, mm. shut off mission control. I mean, this is like over 20 years, 25, 30 years ago. Uh, dirty, the Russians, the Russians, they've learned too that, you know, you end up with a dirty uh, space station with stuff that breaks. It's very serious. 
Uh, they had to shut an airtight door and they got it shut just in time. You see they've learned, but, but now everybody's learned things that they've got to do to live in these very cramped quarters. And Scott Kelly spent a year up there and he said, I had to have a schedule <laughs> and I had to learn about how other people kind of think and, you know, how to work with them. But I think it's yeah. interesting that NASA had midday meal plastered across that schedule. The biggest thing on the schedule is the midday meal. And why do you think that is? I think they, they don't want to have factions salting at opposite ends of the space station. You've got people there from different nationalities. Everybody is going to eat at the midday meal. The other two meals they don't they they don't really care about. But but one time a day, everybody's there together. Because when they did the biosphere project in the early nineties, well, that mm -hmm. turned to giant fights inside. And they formed mm -hmm. two factions. You see, this is the, there's some things that's been learned, tight quarters, like Arctic stations, things like this. Same thing. This is stuff that they learned because you can't have stuff with the fights and then they turned off mission control. Yeah. And that, so that's a long, long, long time ago that happened. I want to have some, but, but, but I mean, it's, it, it's applicable to today. And if those people can manage that on the space station, I mean, this, very tight, very cramped. It's very quarters. tight. You look at where they sleep, and it's very yeah. tight. You could hear each other snoring. Um, and again, these are exceptional human beings, but they are in extreme conditions. So, the bringing it back to us here on Earth. But I think there's some things that they could learn from that. And right. And when the kids, you know, and said, so, "Well, you know, look at life on the International Space Station. It's not all fun spacewalks." Um, the structure is 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 a well, huge. Then it showed you all the food now, and then you get a tour of the bathroom. <laughs> Makes you appreciate your home probably a little bit more. Yes. <laughs> it all. Yeah. No. If somebody was sloppy in that bathroom, you would not be very popular. <laughs> so we talked about you brought out you brought up a really good point when we were talking before we recorded because this podcast really a lot of times, not a lot of times, the, the kind of basis of it is focusing on mental health in agriculture. And what you said, you said something that really kind of... Well, I think one of the things you see people out on ranches, uh, you still would keep doing the same things. I mean, yes. I, now, yeah. of course, a rancher is going to be worried about the cattle market getting messed up and getting horrible prices sure. for his cattle. Of course. But right now, we've got a drought going on that for a rancher... Uh, in certain parts of Colorado, that's worse than COVID. Right, exactly. Yeah. And uh, we had other droughts here a number of years ago, and they had to sell off just tons of cattle. But mm -hmm. in terms of just day-to-day -day life, a rancher would probably be affected less by COVID than uh, people stuffed into an apartment somewhere. Yeah, I heard someone say, like, I, could you imagine being in an apartment in Chicago? Yeah. Or or New York City during all of this? I, I I feel like I feel, and that's I feel like that's going to be another kind of shift to maybe less living like that, less living on top of one another in such, um, and maybe getting more in touch with nature and more out. Well, I hear what I've noticed here: people have been bicycling. The dogs mm -hmm. have never had it better. All the pets have never had it better. They're getting so many walks. They're getting so much played with. People are on the river. Uh, people are out outside doing things outside. My students um, have really been getting into biking. Uh, mm -hmm. It's really messed up our research. You know, that's uh, some of that's been canceled. And so right. I have to. Uh, you know, my students. Uh, Fortunately, now they've opened up a little bit so my students can get out and help them work some cattle. One of my students went out and sorted cattle. She said, oh, it was the best therapy she ever did. Sorting cattle, the experiment station, so much fun. And, of course, we social distanced really carefully. But sure. you got to get out and do some stuff. Yeah, you can do. There's so much you can do and be away. You oh, know, well, I was really you, careful. I went to a metal shop this morning. I was really careful. Uh-huh. Sure, sure. And, you know, you, you can, st you can be cautious, but still enjoy yourself, still enjoy the things that the world gives us. Well, and that's, you know, and it's gotten better, but we had one session where we really could, we could go out, at least we were allowed outside. And then there were people in other countries where they were putting tape on their door where they couldn't leave their apartment. And they'd check the tape on the door to see if it had, they'd open the door. Oh gosh, that's... The other thing that's interesting is making you think about things. I read an interesting um, 
thing a lady in China wrote. She, she mm -hmm. was locked in her in, in a big apartment building, and she says, "Well, I looked at like six or seven fancy purses I bought." And she looked at it a different way and thought, well, it's really kind of stupid having that many purses. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it's like, it's just stupid. And I, yeah, we I, you know, you don't need half the stuff. I mean, there's a point where I'm going to have to buy socks. I, you know, but there's a lot of stuff you just don't need. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, it, it, the, this is, this has been a very tough time for all of us. Um, oh, so it's uh, but well, there's been bad problems. Domestic abuse has gone up. Sure. That's yeah. No. Bad. Yeah. Problems with drug abuse. It, there's been some bad. Problems. Yes. But I think, but like, there are good points, like you were saying that, you know, we're not, we're going to realize that we don't need half of the stuff. We we we're going to understand what makes us happy. I think there's going to be some real things about how much we need to be in some office building in downtown New York. Yeah. And the amount of work that can be done by home, things mm -hmm. happening with the scientific conferences. And I've had, I've had a lot of articles with this magazine about scientific conferences. And, mm -hmm. and uh, there's some good things about online, but the thing you don't have is the informal, just talking to people in the corridors, informal yeah. connections. You're not, you're not getting that. But I think there's going to be a lot of things we're going to say, do we have to drag everybody in on a two hour train ride into that's what my brother used to do before he retired. He worked for a bank in New York. Two hours of train, both yeah. each way. And just to be in some stupid office building in, in New York. Uh, uh -huh. Now, I think we still need to get some of getting people together. But then thinking about what travel is really necessary. You know, there's some salespeople now. They're finding they're doing some sales pretty well on Zoom conferences. Um, sure. You know, people, people do like to be together. But... Maybe we don't have to be commuting to the office every day. Right, and I, I spoke to a I spoke to a friend of mine. He works a he works in human resources for a company here locally, and we aren't we're we're rural Missouri, and you know even them they were talking about how there's three main ones in their office and they're only going to all be together in the office together, even after all of the, all of the phases are done and, you know, yeah. life is back to normal. They're still, they're going to go to where they're all together only like two or three days a week. And, and that's all enough. I still think you need some time where you get yes. most of the people in the office because I find I go in there and I run into somebody in the hall and then we get a, start a research project that would have never been started if we hadn't kind of just, you know, rubbed shoulders in, in the hall. Right, and, right. And then the other thing is, uh, as far as school goes, um, we had a week to get our classes online. That was a real experience. You know, I found the lectures work pretty good. What I found works better is you pre-record the lectures, you make them watch them, and then you do Zoom conferences discussing it. Mm, I find mm -hmm. that works really well. But the labs are a disaster. I mean, how do you teach <laughs> Kevin uh. online? Horse training class was completely canceled. That was ruined for the students. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some things where the human interaction face-to-face, hand-to-hand is absolutely necessary. Well, I think what they're going to end up doing is follow big classes online, but we've got to have some small seminars, and they'll probably have them in the big classrooms, and we've got to have labs. Yeah. Oh, Just yeah. have absolutely. got to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the final thing I want to talk to you about, and I think it, it's a really great that we are recording this right now because it's, as you know, it's county fair season and a lot of things have changed. We are, our county fair for my kids, they are, uh, they're shifting it away from the fairgrounds to a different, uh, actually a livestock market here in town and has taken it up to let them come. there. very gracious for that. Cool. Um, but I want to know how you feel about, you know, there's so much talk about people who don't understand agriculture and about the county fairs. And you hear a lot of people talk about the maybe almost inhumane or the unethical way for a, uh, a child or a teenager to form a bond with an animal like they do when they break one to lead, form a friendship. I mean, they do. And then send them off to, to be processed, to be slaughtered. Well, there was in the seventies, there was a 4-H leader that I worked mm -hmm. with named Billy Hart. Mm -hmm. And I, she had to deal with this problem. And she started learning about 
pharmaceutical products that came from animals, like insulin for diabetics, mm -hmm. things of this mm -hmm. sort. Tallow went into making tires. Now, today, the insulin uh, no longer comes from cattle or from the pig. And, and uh, the interesting thing is, is insulin is the first genetically modified organism yes. before that term was invented. It's called recombinant DNA. It's made from bacteria. You had to make a new form of life to make insulin in order to give up the pancreas gland, the steering of the pig. And I feel very strongly that we've got to give animals a good yes. life. One of my yes. biggest concerns now when I visit a slaughterhouse, now I haven't been near any of them now except on looking at videos mm -hmm. of them. I'm, I'm very concerned with genetic selection just for grow, 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 produce, 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 or you push with feed or you push with this and pushing the biology to the point where the animal's really starting to have some problems. Like a dairy cow that's difficult to breed. Um, cattle and uh, heart, uh, heart failure in beef mm, cattle, mm -hmm. we didn't used to right. have that. Yeah, that's a, rel that's a relatively a new problem. It's relatively new. And pushing that biology to the point where your animal really starts to have problems. And this is where something comes slowly. And when I've seen a welfare issue at a, at a slaughter plant, it's been something that brought in, like they're lame mm -hmm. coming mm -hmm. in or they lay down in the yards and don't want to get mm -hmm. up. Well, pigs and cattle both are doing that. And I've got, I've got problems with that. We've got to give them a decent life. Yes. That, or, or it's a life worth living. Right. Um, and and um, animal welfare is important. Absolutely. And I think there's, to me, and you know, this is where, this is where I learned it. This is where my kids are learning it. My brothers and sisters learned it this way. My close friends learned it this way. And it was, it was through 4-H. It was through being able to understand, form a bond with that animal and realize that each animal does deserve and we owe it to them to give them a good, humane, enjoyable life. No, we need to do that. In fact, we took, uh, something we did, they, we went to the Swift plant right after my very first project. I call it the stairway. Mm -hmm. I took two 4-H kids there. They watched their own steer get processed. Then we showed them how they got the insulin, how they collected the pancreas glands. They couldn't drag them away from the pancreas gland collection. And, you know, they were, it's sort of likely it was the ultimate recycling. Everything in that steer was being used, especially back in the 70s. They also made Ethicon sutures for, um, you know, when they do stitches inside you that dissolve, those were made in the Swift plant out of um, small intestine at cattle. Mm -hmm. And these are some of the things that we showed them. So I think it's important to help people, help who, whomever realize that. that well, we've got to, but I'm very concerned about um, somebody just giving their steer so many feed additives or the pigs so oh, many feed yeah, additives. Oh, yeah, no. You've got, you've got to... No, this is not okay. We've got to really teach, really got to teach ethics. And, and I think it's an interest in, a lot of young people are interested in sort of getting back with the land. The uh, garden companies just uh, had a huge surge in buying garden stuff. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's gotten people into that. Uh -huh. uh, Mark's got, we just, he just got some zucchinis and they were fest big. They were huge zucchinis. Just grew those. Uh, so people are getting into that. I think people are getting more interested in where their food actually comes from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, no, I absolutely. On the other hand, ag, um, you know, they, we're gonna. I think ag's gonna have an interesting thing happen. You got the big boys, but then you also have all the niche markets, and and the niche markets, if they're done right, can coexist with the big boys. Look at the beer market. Right. The beer market, I mean, we started the specialty beer market. Like eighteen percent of the market's the specialty beer market. And Budweiser's right in their backyard. Right, right. They can right. coexist. And that would also help put, make, if you have more of those facilities, flexibility in the supply chain if, it, if something goes wrong. Sure, so you can sure. also have things where setting up something where, okay, this plant got a fire in it, this plant got flooded or some other problem or the power broke or whatever, where you can start diverting livestock to the to a place that may have space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the way I look at it is I don't want food wasted and I certainly don't want pigs um, just wasted and, and being killed in ways that are not nice. People getting PTSD from trying to shoot thousands of pigs. Mm. That's mm -hmm. a good way to end up with a mental health issue. Yeah, absolutely. Could you, I, I mean, I, uh, I couldn't imagine. Uh, 
well, it's absolutely horrible. Yeah. So we've got to work on like putting contingencies in place up front. So this doesn't happen again right. to like magnitude that it did. Right. Well, Temple, I, 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 we're running short. I, I want to be respectful of your time. I, I really appreciate you, uh, all that you've done for, for the industry. I am, am very And great. sometimes the industry doesn't like some of the things I say, but you know, uh, we've got to, um, we've got to figure out how to do things. And sometimes people just don't see it. It's like that raccoon I saw in the launch pad. Yeah. Nobody outside except me. We need and I wasn't looking for a raccoon when so, I walked underneath that launch pad. I, I'm really glad you said that because that, that's a that's one point I, I want to talk. You are a great example of this. You did not grow up in ag. Right, or, I didn't. Yeah. And there is so much to be gained from people coming to this industry from a fresh viewpoint. I, I, I always take my wife, for example. She didn't grow up in ag but she brings such a fresh perspective of things. And, you know, they, she has the ability to look at things and maybe ask why, and maybe we could do this a little bit. Well, the thing is, is um, my family still all lives back in New York. So we've had Christmas conversations and there's some stuff that, you know, may have to change. People oh. don't want to hear that, but there's certain things. My sister Katie's just not going to buy no matter what. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, and it, it's it's valuable to have that outside input and we need to keep that in there's some people in ag i hate that expression you know outside the box thinking and stuff but i think there's some people in ag that are so far inside the box they don't even know the box is there and i think it's, yes. a, it's a problem and there's been some of them get mad at me i want to try to fix things i don't want to wreck things i want to try to figure out how to fix things and make it better because big packing plants, when they're working right, can have really high standards of animal welfare, really high standards of food safety. Now, COVID's made kind of a mess out of the animal welfare and food safety audits. And they've been doing more of that online. Like you get, you get the plant managers or the QA manager's cell phone and you walk them around in the plant uh, over Zoom. No, yeah. I'm serious. That's what they do. That's, that's... And I think that that can actually replace some, some in-person audits, but not all of them. Right, right. It's too many ways to cheat. Sure, sure. <laughs> we just did a did an auditing talk on on with with Brazil today with a thing called Cloverleaf Services, and we were talking about the paperwork. And the thing I don't want to see happen is turn the whole audit into paperwork because I've seen more fake paperwork, and it's not just an egg. Oh, let me tell you, yeah, on um, British Petroleum's um, fake SOPs for oil rigs, yeah, about how to get ice off an oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> They had just uh, lifted that off of some other record somewhere. Oh, God. That looks pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks again. I, I want to, again, I want to be respectful of your time. Where can people find, I know you've got a book coming that just came out. Well, I've got, got, well, I've got um, my website, grandon.com. Grandon.com is my livestock website. Templegrandon.com is my autism okay. website. You can get all my books are available through the autism website. I've got uh, books on the grandon.com. And then there's also on um, uh, Amazon's got a lot of my stuff, but you got to show off a few books. This is my calling all minds. Mm -hmm. This is uh, kids projects, things I did as a kid. If you're interested in autism, this is the way I see it. My most uh, comprehensive book for especially working with young kids with autism. Um, and then I've got my new one on slaughter, everything I know about animal welfare. That's why I, I'm very excited to get that book. So I'm, I. And, and I, what I'm trying to do in that book is put a lot of practical information in one place. And then my co-editor, Michael Cockrum, had more academic in-depth reviews. Mm -hmm. I a lot of literature reviewed in, in one place on animal welfare. And I'm, one of my big pushes right now is these kids are just getting addicted to video games where they would have a great time in a skilled trade building things. So I can tell you, in the meat industry, I've seen people come in, get a job on the line, gravitate over to the maintenance department. Ten years later, they're building a new cooler addition. Mm, and they get to play with Legos with a crane. Right, yeah. That's yeah, a lot yeah. of fun. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And there's places for that. There's, there's absolutely, absolutely. A, a need for that. Yes, I totally I, agree. See, when I talk to educators to talk about the world of construction and the world of industry, it's a world that they absolutely know nothing about. 
They just see the kid, he's autistic, he's dyslexic, he's ADHD, but there's too much medical model. Because I'm going to estimate when I was out working on these big plants and we were putting in stockyards, we were putting in center track restrainer systems, and you can look at that on Beef Plant Video Tour with Temple Grandin. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to estimate that 20% of the welders, machinery designers, drafting people that I worked with would be special ed kids today, either autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD. And I am saying that seriously. But we've got kids growing up that never, never have used a tool in their life. They've, uh, they're not because they weren't exposed to it. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. It, there's there are some things that I feel like do need to change as far as implementing some in, implementing. Well, we need to be getting hands-on classes back yeah. in the schools. And that yeah. includes cooking, sewing. That includes music, theater, auto shop, welding, carpentry shop, all of these things. Right. We yeah. need to get those things back. I agree. Well, Temple, I will, I will, I will end this here tonight. This has been an honor for me. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was great to be on the show. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thanks. And I, I look, I look forward for this to, for people to hear this. Okay. Well, I guess we're going to leave the meeting now. So we'll see you. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com.